Hello, and welcome to the Innovate IPM podcast, where we are passionate about the future of the industrial projects professions, presenting you the best of project management, people, and practices, combining the wisdom of time-tested methods with the cutting-edge technologies and advancements that are modernizing our craft. Our mission is to contribute to the growth and progress of the industrial project management community. It's time to talk scope, schedule, and budget. Let's start the show. Hello, Innovate IPM community. It is Rob Williams, your host of the Innovate IPM podcast. And it is my pleasure today to introduce you to Mr. Tom Cronin. Tom is a well-known meditation coach Uh, from Sydney, Australia. He's an author, a filmmaker, and a former stock trader. He's going to share his story with us. He's a a very cool guy. It was great to talk to him. Super interesting. The day that we talked, he had just returned from the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland, uh, where he was playing, uh, or, or I guess showing, screening rather, his film on the value of meditation on a global scale called The Portal. Look it up. It's cool stuff. He's also the founder of The Stillness Project, which you can learn more about at www.stillnessproject.com. You may be asking yourself, what does meditation have to do with the engineering and construction space? Some of you may already know. We work crazy hours. We do a crazy amount of juggling and coordination. We deal with some crazy personalities sometimes, and we live under some crazy demands. Tom does corporate coaching. Uh, He's done so for firms probably similar to the ones that you work in, definitely the ones that I have worked in. And I thought it'd be a good thing to have him on and discuss how we can deal with stress, how stress works, and how to condition our responses to that stress. So I think there's a lot of value in here you'll get, and I hope you do enjoy it. Before we get to it, let's talk about uh, ratings and reviews. We keep getting more and more ratings and reviews. This is how we get more listeners, and I thank you so much. Please, if you haven't done so already, go to iTunes. Give us a, a rating and a great review, and uh, and then share with your peers. Let everybody know. Also, if you haven't already, go to InnovateIPM.com. Sign up for the email list where you can keep up with what we have going on in the Innovate IPM community, which is always developing and growing. Lastly, I want to talk about Big Action Friday. So every other Friday... Uh, We have a special show called Big Action Fridays where we talk about the big actions you can take in your business or in your career that will help you develop the framework to do big things uh, in your life. So be sure and check those out too. Uh, So far, the feedback's been really great on them. Hope you do enjoy that. And now without further ado, let's talk to Tom. Mr. Tom Cronin. How are you doing, sir? I'm good, I guess. I've had uh, a bit of jet lag coming in, flying in last night from Davos, Switzerland uh, as a 24-hour flight, and my body clock's still readjusting, but um, I'm feeling pretty good, surprisingly. Yeah. So so Davos is is interesting, right? So you were at the World Economic Forum or near there or what yeah, was going we, on there? We were, we were there for the World Economic Forum. Look, you know, that is a phenomenal experience if anyone has the opportunity to go 
uh, it's quite remarkable. You know, really you have the top 1% of the 1% of the world's most influential people converging for four days to basically to meet, collaborate, brainstorm and try to change the world in hopefully for the better. Uh, you know, you've got the top CEOs of all the top companies. So your Facebook, your Googles, your Oracles, your cloud there, all of those are there. Then you've got the presidents and prime ministers of all the countries are there. You know, Trump was there. You've got Merkel. Each country would send one of their senior delegates, if not the prime minister or president. And then you've got your major influencers. You know, you had Prince Charles, your Bob Geldofs, your Bonos, your Sting, your Will I Ams, you know, anyone that's kind of wanting to make an impact in the world in some way, shape or form. So it's quite surreal actually being in this environment. We were there because our film was screening, not in the inner sanctum of the World Economic Forum, but uh, on the outer edges, there's a number of different conventions and conferences sort of being tacked on around it, which is really interesting. So it's sort of grown quite substantially just in the last few years where Mm -hmm. um, much more sort of engaged communities are coming to converge there as well. So it's a really dynamic, exciting place for about four or five days in the mountains of Switzerland. That sounds absolutely amazing. Yeah, yeah, you know, you'd be walking along going from one event to the next and next thing the roads would suddenly be blocked off and, uh, you know, a cavalcade of black SUVs would pull up and police would jump out with AK-47s protecting, you know, whatever's in the car and then that person would get out and go into a secret building and this was happening all the time, you know, so it was quite a surreal place to be. Yeah, that, that kind of fun stuff never happens in Houston. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> well you you uh you're in sydney australia now yes yeah that's yeah. right how are uh um uh, i hate to ask but of course you guys have been he- dealing with fires here lately um yeah we've got a real challenge challenging situation here in australia you know we do have some of the worst fires the planet's seen, uh, which is really catastrophic. 2,000 homes have been burnt down. Uh, You know, over 20 people were killed um, and just close to what they think a billion uh, animals have lost their life. Mm. Some, possibly some species completely wiped out. We we consider some dangerous species were on the cusp and they might never be returned. So it's been a really tragic time, but, you know, it's a deeper issue than just the fires. It's like, you know, what's the cause of such, you know, groundswell of fires? It's, it's this, you know, uh, obviously some major climate issues. We're seeing major drought, which we've been in for quite a long time. And we're seeing uh, rivers drying up, which is part of a unfortunate government policy, which allows some of the large fine farming magnates and mining magnates be able to extract, you know, huge amounts of water out of the artesian basin and rivers upstream, which is leaving a lot of the downstream rivers completely, you know, depleted of, of water stock. So, um, yeah, we've got some major issues facing ourselves now and it's going to be a very complicated and difficult process to go through where we've got to look at the, you know, the best resolution for us as a species, us as the planet, us as a country, but also, you know, the difficult situation for our political leaders is how do they navigate through that economically as well. Yeah, it's a, <clears throat> it's a scary situation obviously scary for you guys it's up close and personal and we're seeing catastrophes like that all around the planet you know one mm. of the things our our audience is is engineers and, and and builders there are plenty of those out there who are you know i've had some on the podcast even their their entire business models about doing things that are low carbon no carbon 
working towards reusing waste materials from from agriculture and and byproducts from industrial processes. So we've we've had a we've had some good people on the podcast. You're you're joining a good uh, a good group of folks. I think we're all like minded in that regard. Um, back yeah, to your. Just, yes, just on that, I've got a one of my clients in a coaching forum that I have. He's a he's a builder, and he was telling me just last week on a call that uh, there's new building materials that are made out of bacteria, um, which wow. is yeah, <laughs> it's like it's they're mimicking natural existence in the way they're constructing building materials. So hmm. uh, he sent me a link. I'll have to send it through to you. But uh, yeah, it's quite do. fascinating. Uh, what, the, like you said, you know, there's the innovation that's coming out. Uh, since you use the word innovation, the innovation that's coming out of building materials is, is exciting. You know, so there's there is hope. Definitely, most definitely. So um, I read your book. Uh, your book was based on the film that you were in mm-hmm. Davos for. Uh, it's a very good read. I enjoyed it. Um, I say I read it. I don't get to really read anymore. I audibled it, right? So I yeah, listened to sure. it on the commute. Uh, an interesting, an interesting point. So you had a guy in the book uh, named Buddha, who was a, mm-hmm. a staff sergeant. He, the town he's uh, Beaumont, Beaumont, Texas. Mm-hmm. It's about two hours east of here. That's actually where I'm from. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Wow. This is really crazy. You know, I met this guy from from Sydney, Australia, who writes writes a book, creates a film, and and uh and part of his uh you know part of his creation is is from the same place i'm from so it's very interesting wow. that's <laughs> giving me a bit of insight into your upbringing because I, i've obviously through the book and film and spending time with Buddha, i understand what life was like in beaumont it's a tough yeah. place did you go to beaumont we didn't we filmed in augusta we filmed in atlanta um okay. capturing some of his story we didn't get to beaumont then gotcha yeah yeah yeah, very mm. interesting. I was very surprised to hear that. And I think he was the first one in the book. So right off the bat, yeah. I was, I felt, yeah. uh, you know, I felt some, some kin, kindred spirit there for sure. So Tom, besides, besides going to world economic forums and, uh, and writing books and, and making films, uh, what else do you do? Probably I actually, my primary objective, and that was all through the book and the film and everything else that I do is to help people shift their state of mind, to shift their consciousness. Uh, and, you know, I was talking to a lot of people, big game changers at World Economic Forum. And my angle is that I'm not really that interested in trying to solve the world's problems, which sounds really selfish and silly. But if you look at it in a different angle, the world's problems are created by a state of mind, as Mikey Siegel says in the film and the book, that, you know, most of the problems on the planet are created by humans and those problems are created by a state of mind within the human. So if I can shift people's states of mind, then what we tend to start seeing is the decisions start changing, the way they relate to the world starts changing, they stop having this whole segregated, individualistic, narcissistic sort of um, myopic perspective of the world and start having a much more integrated, holistic and integrated relationship with the world, not just other humans, but also with the planet itself. And that was the journey for me too. I was a completely self-obsessed, narcissistic, individualistic broker, just all about me, me, me. And that led to a crisis. And that crisis was evolution. It was the way the world was trying to let me know, the universe was trying to let me know that is not the path of life. That is not what you're here to do. So I'm going to make it really uncomfortable for you until you get it. And uh, luckily for me, uh, rather than breaking down, I managed to break through and, and discovered meditation. And that's the premise of what the film and the book is, that we have a crisis point that 
takes us on a trajectory of one or two options. So for me, coming back to the question, um, I feel the best impact I can have on the world is by teaching people to meditate, helping them uh, transcend the current program in their mind and experience an innate sense of wisdom and truth. Excellent. So being that the audience is engineering, construction, we're project people, part mm. of, of what we do, we deal with a high stress environment. Um, it's not unusual for, for guys in our industry to work late into the night through the weekend, guys and gals, um, work through holidays, right? Um, it's, it's pretty, pretty intense. So from, from your perspective as a guy who was a, a trader, um, living a, a similar, uh, intense, you know, working in a similarly, similarly intense workspace, what, what advice do you have? One of the things that you mentioned, um, in the book was, was a concept called mental spring cleaning. How can we apply that to, to folks in the, in the business? Yeah. You know, if you, if you just simply look at the functionality of a stress response in the body. So it's really important. First, we get clear on that there are no stressful situations. There are just situations and then there's either a stress response to that situation or there's not a stress response to that situation. It's subjective and subjective. Um, so what we have as the variable is our relationship to life. Um, life itself is going to be a constant fluctuating thing um, that sometimes we don't have much control over. But what, what we have it to some degree of control over is our relationship and our response to that. For most people, there's very little control over that and they're just in this automatic response process, which is getting stress responses. And when we get a stress response, that is we're kicked into the sympathetic nervous system uh, stress response in our body. Um, a number of things are going to happen physiologically. Uh, your blood's going to, because this imagining the reason why you've got this sympathetic nervous system is to protect you from a very dangerous situation. For instance, a marauding tribes chasing you or a saber-toothed tiger. And it doesn't matter what the trigger mechanism is, but you've now got the sympathetic nervous system activated in your system. Now, physiologically, mentally, and biochemically, your body's going to completely change quite quickly. Uh, physiologically, you're going to start uh, coagulating your blood because if you get bitten or stabbed, you don't want your blood gushing out of you. Uh, you're going to start changing your blood sugar levels. Your red and white blood cell count is going to change. Start storing fat cells because you might not be able to eat for a while, which is why we're getting a lot of cholesterol. Um, the blood coagulation is leading to a lot of heart disease. You're not going to start digesting food uh, because you, you know you're going to be on the run. It's not time for eating and having a picnic. So that's why we're getting a lot of irritable bowel syndrome and um, leaky gut because we just don't have proper digestive juices happening in our body. All that's happening on a physiological level. Um, on a biochemical level, what's going to happen is that we're going to produce high levels of cortisol, adrenaline, norepinephrine into our bloodstream, and we're going to shut down the production of melatonin, serotonin, and oxytocin. A, we don't want to be falling asleep when we're in a dangerous situation. B, we don't want to feel happy and jovial when we might have to go into battle with someone. And C, we don't want to feel empathy and love for an enemy when we might have to put a sword in their side because we need to protect ourselves from danger. So these three biochemicals enable us to thrive in our life successfully, sleeping well, feeling happy, feeling love in our relationships, um, which is fine if we can suddenly shut that off when we get home from work but generally there's like you said we're working on weekends working long hours and we don't really know how to just close things off from work and then to life to home life 
So this is starting to have a major effect on our day-to-day living, just our biochemistry changing. And then on a mental level, more importantly, particularly for engineers, is that the uh, functionality of the frontal lobe of the brain is critical for your creativity and intelligence. Uh, we have right and left hemisphere of the brain, which is creative mm-hmm. and analytical, but we also have frontal lobe and rear lobe. And the rear lobe is this very primal reptilian part of the brain, which is just sort of pure functionality, survival sort of instincts. And the frontal lobe of the brain, which is the one that's very cognitive, intelligent, creative, wise, it starts to cramp up and shut down when we're in a stress response state. Uh, so when we're on a run from a saber-toothed tiger, we're not trying to think about, you know, a latest design for an app or a marketing campaign or maybe a, a design for a bridge over a freeway. So uh, this frontal lobe contraction when we're in the stress response completely inhibits our ability to thrive in the world and thrive in our jobs. So what we really need to do is not look at trying to, try harder in life, work harder, work longer. What we want to do is be calmer. And what we tend to find when we're calmer is we're much more effective in every area of life. And Oprah Winfrey, she uh, insists that everyone in her company at own uh, meditate once in the morning at nine o'clock in the company and once in the afternoon at four o'clock. And she says, quote, for what, quote, It is only from that place can you create your best work and your best life. And I must admit for me, you know, I spent 26 years as a broker on a trading room floor. And the first 10 years of that career, I had extreme stress responses. That's anxiety, panic attacks, depression, insomnia, um, huge addictions, deep depression. Mm -hmm. Um, And then uh, around 29, I had a bit of a meltdown and learned to meditate. And I sustained another 16 more years in that career without that stress response happening in my system. And that's because I was in a calm, sustained place. And I became a highly successful broker um, because I just was a much better person all around. My relationships got better. My work got better. My health got better. And uh, I think there's, uh, I think some of you guys might, uh, when I say guys, it's a colloquial term for men and women in Australia. Sure. Um, But I think um, you might relate to, now correct me if I'm wrong, I believe the third law of thermodynamics states that as de-excitation occurs, order increases, and as excitation occurs, disorder increases. And yeah. if you, I'd have take, to look that, that up. So I'll take your word for it. Okay, okay. <laughs> and I think if you if you put that into like a um, you know, a football stadium where you've got a hundred thousand people in there, and they can walk out of there very calmly and clear that stadium in ten minutes. If there's a gunshot or a bomb and uh, those people start to go like crazy, then there could be mm. people getting trampled, trampled on and die death and all sorts of mayhem. And, mm-hmm. and that's just normal. Uh, anything where there's more uh, overstimulation, overexcitation, and there's more disorder. And it happens within our own body as well. Internally with, yeah, with, internally, with our mental yeah. processes. And, and you've actually uh, in the book, uh, you, you and the other authors refer to it as a human operating system. Yeah which yeah. I thought was an excellent term. And I think it really puts, puts things into perspective. Um, I know that me personally, uh, when I worked for, when I did what we call firm work, so I worked for an engineering firm, they were a professional services provider to owners. So we, we were hired by them to do engineering, to do construction management. Uh, that was probably the most stressful part of my life. And I was hitting like 90 hour work weeks. 
and the amount of physical um, mm. problems that that came out of that are just are just kind of amazing, right? Yeah, look, it's, we really have to dig deep and assess our lives and the way we're living them. And what's been condi- conditioned into us is a natural status quo. And this is the beauty of when we do embody practices like meditation, we start to transcend what's naturally conditioned into us, which is a standard way of living and functioning. And then you start to go, well, hang on, this isn't serving me or anyone else's highest interest Mm -hmm. and so it might be the current status quo but it's not one that i'm willing to continue to subscribe to and you know we have a hardware and we have a software the software being you know like a phone the ios and the hardware being the, the the device itself and so this is the way we have to look at continually making sure that our software and our hardware in a really optimal way and, you know, I was the same as you. I was working and playing extremely hard and I end up paying a massive price for that. Uh, uh, and that's a, a massive price of the software and the hardware, both malfunctioning. And uh, it really has to be something that we look at on, on both levels, hardware and software being maintained and, and operating in a very efficient and effective way. So from an from a, uh, organizational point of view, what, what can employers or managers do to, to help nurture that operating system and, and help people to uh, optimize that operating system like we're describing? Yeah, it's a great question. And I've been doing a lot of work with corporates lately. I've been getting a lot of calls from some senior managers in some very large companies who one of them was actually a, a very well-known company here in Australia. And uh, he said he's had five phone calls with five different staff members where he's had to talk them away from the edge of a large cliff or from walking in front of a train or, you know, being close to taking their lives. And mm. uh, we've even had the, the CEO of Woolworths Australia, which is like your Walmart. Uh, he just recently came out. They've got 200,000 employees and uh, they have a suicide a month in their company. Wow. Um, and look, we have to, we're all in this together and as managers we we have to change our relationship with our staff not seeing them as an employee that walks in the door at eight or nine or seven or six and walks out at six or nine or ten but there's a human being that has uh fragilities and vulnerabilities and they're not robots they're not machines they actually are human beings that uh, have to have a lot of respect for their body and their mind. And sometimes they don't even know that themselves. And so it, it, our, our role as employees is expanding a little bit further afield than what it used to be. Uh, and that is to almost be like a caretaker of some degree because we're having an effect on their lives. And that doesn't stop when they walk out the door mm-hmm. of the office. It mm-hmm. continues because now in the old days when they walked out the door, literally, 20 years ago, um, they never heard boo from you again until nine o'clock the next morning. Um, whereas these days they're going to check their email. They're going to check their Facebook. They're going to check their Twitter. Uh, they're going to be doing work. They're going to be doing, uh, you know, whatever their drawings, designs, or, uh, you know, proposals. So there's no longer a distinct delineation between work and home life anymore. And so as employees, what we need to do is we need to, in the workplace 
window of time, we need to make sure that there are periods where it is recognized for staff and not only just okay, but actually promoted windows of time for them to find solitude and silence uh, either as a group that's around a boardroom or in a, a meditation room, but windows of time where they can recluse and there's no phones, there's no Wi-Fi, there's no work, but basically five, 10, 15, 20 minute windows where they can go and, um, and particularly as a group, it's even more powerful going, I, I would suggest having a meditation experience. So that's from the employer perspective, yeah. looking towards the employees. What, what yeah. if it's the other way around? Let's say that the employer, or sorry, excuse me, the employee, employee. yeah, let's say they're in a very rigid, uh, perhaps, you know, for lack of better words, old school environment where, where these things, maybe they're even frowned upon. Maybe they're just not, uh, uh, it's just not a convenient place or a, a welcoming place to these kinds of concepts. What can that person do to, uh, to make sure that, that they can keep that operating system healthy? That's a really good question because sometimes, you know, it's, it's, it's ideal, idealistic to say these are the things that you want to have in your life. You know, for me, when I was a broker, um, you know, I'd meditate before I got to work, but we were lucky. We had an hour and a half for lunch break. Uh, in that was an old sort of 1980s sort of hangover of the finance industry that had long lunches. So, you know, I made it a, you know, pretty much a given most days that I didn't have something on. I, I like a meeting or a client lunch, I would um, go to the gym or go to the park or go to the pool, do some exercise and then meditate uh, for 20 minutes and then go to work. Um, it was hard because the, I was a trader and so the markets were open at certain times and you couldn't literally leave the market to go and meditate during the time the market was open. Um, but you could use your, your lunchtime well and obviously after work well. So, you know, the market's finished at five. So, you know, we had, it was easy to go and duck out and have some time off and get your meditation. But if you're in an environment like a, an engineering company where it's not so clear cut and the hours can sort of expand as long as you want, um, I think we just have to be really vocal in a really uh, smart way and, uh, and confident way with management and let them know um, at least get enough people with you to request some preferences that you might like to implement within the company. And that might be, you know, that, uh, you know, five o'clock you need to take some time out or, three in the afternoon. You look, most people want to have a coffee break. It's not, un, it's not uh, I think, out of this world to expect a 20-minute break in the afternoon. It's certainly not out of this world to take a one-hour lunch break. Um, we've just got to get really clear about how, lo how long and how well do we want to live our life. And it's so easy, particularly, in, I spent some time in America and it's, but you know, you guys get two weeks holiday. It's like crazy. I was getting five <laughs> weeks holiday a year. Oh. I mean, what, what's the point of working so hard if you can't take time out to enjoy it? We've got to really reassess our values and get clear about what's, what's a high priority of the it, way we it, want to live our it's life. It's getting better just just so you know, it's not as yeah. bad as it used to. Yeah, Good some to of, not not everybody, but I do know that uh, there are some large organizations that uh, that are starting to offer things like paternal leave and, and stuff yeah. like that, which is very yeah. new yeah. for us. We don't we don't ever we've never had that before. So yeah, I took I took two weeks paternal leave when I yeah. when I had my kids. Uh, nice. Yeah, it was a given. Yeah, I like what you said about being vocal wow. in a smart way, and and I think that 
I've worked in a lot of different kinds of organizations. Um, we, we, we've got an antiquated, you know, industry. We, we all agree with that. Even, even the guys who've been doing it for a long time, they're like, yeah, this, this is, you know, we've been doing it the same way for decades now. And a lot of younger people coming into the industry, and this is something that me and some of my colleagues discuss a lot. They come into the industry straight out of college, uh, find out they don't like it. Found out they don't like because it's uh, because it is antiquated, and, and some of the attitudes that are that are hung over from the '80s and the '90s are still there. Um, but but I, in my personal experience, it's sometimes it's scary to speak up in that kind of environment. But I've never, when I've been courageous enough to speak up and 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 make those kinds of requests, I've never been turned away. So I think that's a that's a very uh, important statement. I'd like to drill that home to the audience. Be vocal in a smart way about doing what's good for you and your peers. In Just the remembering and adding to that, um, it's it's so true what you're saying. And adding to that, um, don't ever think that Martin Luther King wasn't afraid. Sure. Don't ever think that Greta Thunberg, you know, I, I, I spoke with her at Davos as we walked along the streets in a protest march and don't ever think that she's not afraid, but anyone that's challenging a current status quo will feel it's uncomfortable. Uh, there's days where I kind of shake in my boots at times as I try and challenge the current status quo in the world. So whether it's within your company, whether it's in a family dynamic, whether it's in a political movement, uh, it's, you know, there's that resistance and that tension that happens when you're trying to push up against something that's trying to push back. And there's that, uh, it's uncomfortable, but the only change we've ever seen on, on the planet is when someone challenges and disrupts the current status quo and that just has to keep happening. So yeah, yeah keep going, keep going with it. Agreed. A hundred percent. Uh, on that note, I was, uh, interested to learn more about the stillness project. Could you tell us a little about that? Yeah, we, we, when I left finance, we wanted to really leverage and scale the process of meditation, the practice of meditation. Uh, I came through a transcendental meditation or Vedic meditation practice, um, which is an ancient, 5,000 year old practice and it was taught in a particular way. Um, it's a very expensive, uh, way to learn meditation, but it's a very powerful technique and it's only ever taught in person, which was a really beautiful way to learn to meditate. For me, it was life changing, completely life changing to learn meditation that way. Um, but when I started to write about it and blog about it and do videos about it, when the internet arrived, I had people all over the world saying, goodness me, you've got to help me get over my anxiety and depression with that technique as well. I'm like, well, going to cost you a thousand dollars. You need to find a teacher in your local town. It's like, A, I don't have a thousand dollars and B, there's no teacher in my local town. I'm in like an island north of Finland near the Arctic Circle, or I'm in Venezuela <laughs> or a housing estate of Sheffield in England. And all the Vedic and transcendental meditation teachers seem to be in Santa Monica in their nice apartments. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> so I decided to do something that uh, was a little bit controversial and that was disrupt the model and put into a 21-day program online. And we had an intention and a goal 
to inspire a billion people to meditate daily, partly if they wanted to use our platform or whatever other platform, you know, we gave away some free meditations and, and really it was not just about using our techniques. It was really just to get people inspired to start meditating. And that's where the film came in as well. So, um, yeah, it was really just something that we, we set about that if we wanted to create change in people's lives, I knew through my own personal experience, the best thing I can do for anyone was to help them start meditating because yeah, it was just such a game changer when they did. Excellent. Let's talk about the film just mm. briefly. Um, so this is a big project, you know, and again, like I said, we're, we're project <laughs> people. We, we kind of get the idea, right? Scope, schedule, budget, no matter what you're yeah. talking about. That's mm. what, that's what any project is, whether it's the white album or building the bridge or the portal. So, mm. and by the way, that was the name wow. of the film in the book. I don't think we've said that yet, but it's the portal. Um, how stressful was this thing to get to the end? <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's, I never imagined making a film about meditation would be one of the most challenging and stressful experiences I'd ever go through. Oh my goodness. It, it really it's was. It's a little ironic, right? <laughs> yes, yeah, ironic. It's almost like I had to live and breathe crisis in the making of a film about crisis. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, it was, you know, it took me seven years. We raised money from investors and um, still to this day, we have an obligation, responsibility and a commitment to our investors to, to help them re experience, you know, re reclaim their money. Um, and they've been great and very supportive. So a lot of gratitude to them. Um, but you know, it's one thing I never, un un uh, what I didn't realize was how challenging it would be to have an idea that you pull out of the field of infinite possibility then you, you, you cognize that as a, as a form, which is an idea. Then you put it down on paper, which is an idea a little bit more tangible now. And then you have to take that and then manifest it into the form itself, the final form, just as an engineer will take the idea and put it into paper and then they have to go and construct it. Mm -hmm. um, and from that paper design to the manifestation, the physical form, it, it, there's a lot of things have to take place and a lot of people, a lot of companies, a lot of... Um, collaboration and input and not everyone is going to have exactly the same vision and intention and capability. And so there's all these variables that start to play out. And we, we had a lot of challenges along the way. Uh, a lot of people dropped off and some people just didn't have the capacity to um, see the vision through. And so it was um, a very windy path that, um, you know, finally got us to this point where the film was out. Um, Jackie, the director did a phenomenal job. Um, and the book, obviously we finally got out. The app's only just come out in a couple of, <clears throat> couple of weeks ago. And we're just about to launch a 12 week, uh, online program on overcoming anxiety and depression. So that'll be the last sort of uh, sort of piece in the jigsaw puzzle and then we, the, all of the assets will be completed. Okay. Awesome, man. So, um, great. I'll tell you what, um, the portal stillness project world economic forum, you're doing some incredible stuff, Tom, uh, it's a real pleasure to meet you. Uh, is there anything else that you want to discuss, uh, before we shut it down? No, look, I mean, it's just an honor to be able to share you know some insights with your audience and uh thanks to all the listeners who are joining us here today uh and you know if you want to find out more about uh where you can see the film or read the book or listen to the book you can just go to enter the portal.com 
that's enterthebottle.com and you can find all the details there. And if you, uh, we're actually in a really exciting phase now where people can actually host the, the screening in their own town. Um, we provide the cinema, the, the, the film, marketing materials, Facebook events, and um, you, we even pay you part of the ticket fees to, to put that on. And it's just a way of giving the film to the community out there in the world. And it's been phenomenal. We've had like 60, 70 hostings all around the world where people nice. bring their communities to it. And, um, you know, I just got a message from my brother in another state up north who said, oh, I just watched your film last night. It was great. Amazing. Well done, bro. So, um, you know, it's good to awesome. see the people running with the film now and taking it out into the community. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on, Tom. I'm, I'm eternally grateful to you for, for being a part of the podcast here. Uh, and I wish you all the best in your ventures moving forward. We'll be sure and link all this stuff up in the show notes so that people can find you. Awesome. Pleasure. Thanks. Right. Thank you, sir.